My name is Greg Hunter, and this is Comic Book Decalogue, recording from a Comics Journal Satellite Lab in Minneapolis, Minnesota. The interview you're about to hear involves ten questions, designed for a combination of modularity and comprehensiveness. The same ten questions I'll be asking to a different cartoonist each week. A small bit of housekeeping before I get to this episode's guest. Last time, I misidentified the owner of Garfield the Cat as Jim Arbuckle. People weren't shy about mentioning this on social media, and frankly, I don't blame them. The name of this character, of course, is John Arbuckle, Garfield's creator being Jim Davis. Do I think this has tarnished the Garfield question? No, but I do need to offer a mea culpa here. I feel like a real horse's ass about this, and no, it is not going to happen again. Apologies to Jim Davis, apologies to John Arbuckle, and apologies to you, the listener. Caitlin Skalrud is our featured cartoonist this time around. Caitlin is a Zerit Grant recipient, the founder of Talk Weird Press, a Twin Cities-based micro-press, the author of Houses of the Holy, a graphic novel coming this fall from Uncivilized Books, and a co-organizer of Autoptic, a two-day festival of independent culture and visual arts hitting Minneapolis on August 8th and 9th. A word about Autoptic before I go further, and this is an endorsement I am making freely. They didn't buy ad space, nothing of the kind. If you are anywhere near the Midwest, you owe it to yourself to check this out. Listen to this guest list excerpt. Gabrielle Bell, Charles Burns, Sammy Harkham, Laura Park, Jillian Tamaki, and more. That's not even the whole list. There will be so much talent in one place, it's insane. And that place is a lovely little corner of Minneapolis near the Mississippi River. People like Caitlin, making it happen. Her book, Houses of the Holy, by the way, I have read this comic, and in all tongue-in-cheekness aside, it is hypnotic, it is unsettling, it is loaded with memorable compositions. It's the kind of thing that falls somewhere between Emily Carroll's work and Martin Vaughn James's The Cage. Houses of the Holy, this fall, when the time comes, go get it, man. Now, the interview. Question one. What's the first comic you remember reading? First? Um, I, it's probably a Donald Duck comic. I have no idea who would have put it out. It would have been 1995. It was a okay. Donald Duck comic about saving dolphins from pollution. So are we talking one of like the spinner rack Disney comics from the 90s? or was Probably. I picked it up at like a gas station in Montana. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, so I was about five, and it was it was about dolphins getting their their beaks getting caught in those uh, six pack plastic containers for beer. Uh-huh. Yeah, so they, they had to rescue a dolphin, and hmm. I don't even know what that would have been under. Yeah, so like weirdly, like PSA for, <laughs> for yep. a licensed Disney comic. Yeah, and it was that the start of like a a long life of comics reading, or like, yeah, yeah, I think. From there, probably the next book that I can remember reading are those really old collections of Peanuts, because my mom was a second grader, mm-hmm. still is a teacher, but at that point she was second grade. So she had kids' books from when this school opened, which was, you know, like, oh, wow. like 40s or 50s, way back when. So all these old books are still there, and she, I would just read them, because I was there uh, before she had class and stuff like that. 
Are you Minnesota born, by the way? I am not technically Minnesotan, Minnesotan born, uh, but I was born just across the border, and my whole family is from over here, so I've sort of lived, okay. lived that border my is that, entire life. Is that the Wisconsin border? Yes. Then, yes. I feel like like being a Minnesotan, people say, someone will say that. And you know exactly it's, what they're talking about. But yeah, for the sake of the listener. <laughs> oh, I suppose, yeah. So the, the fraud Minnesota-Wisconsin border. Yeah. It's, a, it's I do have to feel like I, I feel like I have to apologize to people when I say oh, for that sure. sometimes. Like, it's, it's odd that I have to apologize for coming from just past Minnesota. Mm-hmm. But and we, we probably can't unpack all, no, all of that today. No, that's, a, that's probably its own podcast series. Mm-hmm. But, the, I mean, that's not a bad idea. <laughs> Wisconsinites apologize. And they should. There's there's money in that. Dot, dot, dot. Trademark. And they should. <laughs> okay. Question number two. Mm-hmm. What's the last comic you finished reading? Oh. The last comic I finished reading. I have to go through my mental book stack. I think it was... I'm going to say her name wrong. Kyler. I met her at Cape just a couple weeks ago. Kyler Roberts. Hmm. Of uh, Scott and Roberts, they're a cartoon couple. I'm not actually sure where they're from, but I met her at Cake, and uh, she was one of their special guests, so I picked up her new book, Misery Land, and that was the last one I read, which is sort of like a, a bunch of uh, scenes from her life as a, as a mother and a wife, which, mm-hmm. um, which are hilarious. Because anytime you put a small child into a comic, usually they have something interesting <laughs> to say. Did you know the publisher? She self-published, uh, so she's been self-publishing Powdered Milk for a while, and Misery Land is like a larger collection of stories. Mm-hmm. I haven't actually gone back to read the other ones, but Misery Land is where I started. Cool. Yeah. Uh, question three. What cartoonist doesn't get enough praise? Oh, okay. Oh, I'm trying to think. I know there's a name I want to say, because... I may not be able to answer this question again, and I want to have the right name. So hard. I can't. Uh, well, my first instinct is to say my friend Zach, but Zach Sally, but... Sure. I mean, that's, that's historically his sort of pattern, is people won't pick up on this beautiful, beautiful stuff that he does, but that might also be part of his appeal, is that he's... Even underground. Oh, oh, for sure. In an underground. Like, yeah, no matter how many niche, how how niche you get. Yeah. He'll still be a niche Mm -hmm. below your, you know, your interest level. He's just, just slightly cooler than you. (laughs) Um, I know this name I'm trying to think of. You know, you might have to put me on record saying that, but that's. Okay. That might be cliche of me. Well, I mean, Zach Sally is legit. Is legit and and underappreciated. So yeah, Zach Sally is underappreciated. Okay. Officially endorsed. Officially. By me. Officially endorsed by me. All right. Question number four. This is sort of the inverse. Sure. What's the most widely loved comic you can't connect with? I know exactly what it is. It's Brian Lee O'Malley and it's Scott Pilgrim. Uh huh. I. We, my, uh, my partner, Scotty, and I, he is notorious for making top five lists, and he had put together just a list of the top ten most influential cartoonists, and there's only one person on that list that we argue about, it's like Schultz, Crumb, Hernandez, and 
as you go down further, like more recent cartoonists, it's Brian Lee O'Malley, and I just I keep harping on him, like no, no. Uh, the reasoning being, uh, like he cites it as this really good embodiment of that, like internet famous or cutesy or certainly sly, tongue in cheek kind of cute comics. Mm-hmm. Things he, he he sort of like lumps together as this internet comics world that he's not as familiar with. Sure. So it seems like the face of it is Brian Lee O'Malley, who is certainly very very popular. I could see that he like he didn't get his break on Tumblr, but no. in some respects he's the, he embodies the yeah. sensibility of like the <laughs> Tumblr type of yeah funny web comic yeah. Which I I think is I think his work like. I think his work is technically pretty beautiful. Like, the way he draws is, I think, great. Mm-hmm. It's personally not my taste. And I don't... There's there's so many uh, cartoonists who do a similar thing that I think are just slightly more engaging or interesting. Like, Kate Beaton. To me, Kate Beaton would be that name you'd insert there. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, she's funny, and it's witty, and it's... It's excessively drawn, like it's it's cute and it's it serves the purpose of being funny and, and witty and wry, mm-hmm. just as well as Brian Lee O'Malley does. But I don't think he's actually achieving the same sort of wit. It seems more juvenile than KB. And one day I might meet him, and he might have heard this. But I think I don't think it's a bad thing. It's just not my taste. Like it's it's a book that I would have enjoyed if I had encountered it younger. Mm-hmm. It, when I was 23 and I picked it up, it wasn't where I was. So, um, I think it's more enjoyable if you pick it up at the time. He's kind of, like, writing it. Sure. Out, if that makes sense. I find, I find other comics more witty. And this one is more about that, that specific experience. And I was at the point where I was like, I don't want to think about being a teenager right now. I'm 20. It's great to be grown mm-hmm. up. But, yeah, so that's what I would say is the inverse. That's interesting. Yeah. I'm, I'm of two minds about Brian mm-hmm. Lee O'Malley. I liked Scott Pilgrim. I haven't revisited it in the last five years. Yeah. I think... I think it's, it's, it's beautiful. It's, yeah, technically it's accomplished. It's beautiful to me. I think he, the way he draws is is pretty amazing. And I don't think I could make it as attractive as he did. But I just there's just something about the content that is not... It doesn't read for me as well once I'm, you know, of a certain age. It mm-hmm. begins to have less of an impact. If that makes sense. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, content-wise, I think if I were to re-engage with it, I think there's a great story there about mm-hmm. becoming a better version of yeah. yourself. Mm-hmm. I think my ambivalence about O'Malley is more that I've, I've also read Seconds. Yeah, I, I have. I was not moved by Seconds. Yeah. And his earliest work, uh, Lost at Sea, mm-hmm. I also think is is not a, a story which with much depth yes, there. So I'll yes. be very interested to see yeah. the comic he makes in ten years. Yeah, and, definitely. And the kind of cartoonist he'll be long term after yeah. after capturing something that for you know for better or for worse is you know yeah. very specific to a specific mm-hmm. time in your yeah. teens and twenties. Which everyone goes through. So that's I mean like you're guaranteed to have to reach people who. Who want to read it, but yeah. All right. Question five. What's a change you'd like to see across the comics industry? 
Oh, that's a really hard question to answer. I don't want to say that uh, there's not enough women or men in it because I think there's been I had I've had a lot of discussions with friends and other cartoonists about there's not a ton of there's not a lot of there's not as many women but there's I mean there's a huge percentage of cartoonists now or who are successful too are are women and uh, there's not a ton of trans visibility in the community I was sitting. Uh, I was just sitting next to Annie Mock and we were having a discussion about like there's not a ton of trans people there's not a ton of women um, but really I just want to see people who are committed to it whatever like gender or race or age the person is um, I think what makes the comics communities as great as they are in all these cities is that everybody continues to love it and learn mm-hmm. um what I'm afraid of is just sometimes, you know, these things come in waves. There seems to be sure. a huge, like, small small press publishing and festival boom where there's just everybody's getting their, their you know, their hand in this. And it's it's been, it's been huge of, like, just getting people to come to shows and have public visibility about comics mm-hmm. and have people I meet on the street, if I tell them what I do, that they might actually know what I what I mean by sure. it. I'm just afraid that this is a boom and we'll have a bust boom and a bust because it's a you know it's an American it's an American stereotype we'll For boom sure. and we'll bust and we'll boom and we'll bust now let me ask you since you mentioned shows yeah. as someone who's involved with the planning of Autoptic mm-hmm. do you feel like you're able to shape the discourse there in some way I mean is it, are there so many variables that you like in spite of Having that planning role, you still feel like you're basically just a witness to the trends in comics. Um, we we sit in a sort of a strange place because having a topic here in Minneapolis, our scene is just the right size that we could actually change the direction it goes. Like in any given moment, we can change the direction mm-hmm. it goes because there's just the right amount of us to talk to, to like have discussions with, to meet with that we could. Um, that we could affect it. We have, in atopic planning, we have tried to steer ourselves purposefully towards, like, we want to have all sorts of creators. We mm-hmm. don't want to be discriminatory in any way, but we also don't want to uh, forget people who might not otherwise get a chance. And if we find their work is interesting and important as well, like, we will also, you know, go out of our way to be like, you know what, we should have this this person and what they represent or what they do is important for the rest of the comics community to Uh see as well. Like we are able to do that, not in a huge way, but it's just tiny pieces where we can sort of exert the control we have over, uh, this chaotic world of comics just by like selecting people to present to the public. We think this person and what they do is really important. So Mm -hmm. we're going to make you pay attention to them. They may not, take that seriously but we're serious about putting them out there great and putting our name behind them that kind of thing question six on the subject of trends in comics Mm -hmm. what's the closest you've come to quitting cartooning I don't think ever never I no I don't think it's ever been I don't think it's ever been possible because 
uh, even even when I was having a personal crisis, when I was struggling, just as it like literally stay alive and literally mm-hmm. just continue through one more day. Like cartooning was and comics were what kept me here. Just kept me in the moment. Mm-hmm. Physically kept me in my seat to like focus on finishing something. Like I drew. No matter what happened to me, good or bad, mm-hmm. I was I was either drawing that day or I was planning to draw the next day. Sometimes your world gets too big or too small, and it's hard to like figure out where you are within either of them. But I could always figure out where I was if I just had a, like a flat surface of uh-huh. paper. If that makes sense. Yeah. Like absolutely. I had to orient myself before I could find myself, and an easy way for me to do that, or an easier way to do that, is just have myself a piece of paper and draw whatever comes to mind, or you know, let it out or figure it out on the paper. It's well, let me ask you something yeah. with, with that in mind. Sub-question. Sure. I've read uh, your mermaid comics. Yeah. And those, of course, you know, there's an allegorical feel. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, a magical realist feel. Yeah. Like, if you look at your own work, does it read as autobiographical to you? Oh, You know, yeah. with all that said? Oh, yes. I think the first one I did was Sea Change. And I did it, actually, while I was... I just graduated college, mm-hmm. and, and you went to MCAD. Is I that correct? To, yeah, I went to Minnesota M- College of Art and Design for the the uh, many non-Minnesotan listeners. I yeah. hope we have for this episode. Yeah, so I went to the Minneapolis College of Art and Design. I graduated in 2011, mm-hmm. um, and unfortunately, I had to move back across that that famed Wisconsin-Minnesota border back home with my parents for I think it was about a year before I was able to get back on my feet financially to move back to Minneapolis. Uh, but while I was there, it was, it's about 40, it's about 45 minutes from Minneapolis. And mm-hmm. I was commuting to work here in downtown as a barista in, it was in a caribou, I think it's the Capella Tower. Mm-hmm. So, which is, I think now a peace coffee, which would have been a much better place to work. But it was, it was a time in my life where I felt completely rudderless. You give you get some sort of feeling of control from being in college. Like you, even if you're, you know, you're not the, you know, you don't get the greatest grades. But uh, in art school, they allow you to sort of steer your own course. You sort of figure out who you want to be as an artist, mm-hmm. and you're just given this freedom and this time and this all these resources and energy from other people to go there. And as soon as I got home, I had a crummy job where I had to get up about three, either between 3 a.m. and 5 a.m. I just felt completely out of control. And so it seemed to me when I read those comics again that I was picturing myself at once as the mermaids, which are, they're wild and they have all the power that anyone can even imagine. Like there's, mm-hmm. it's not something I explicitly state in the comics but they're they're psychic they're supernatural they have powers over weather it's everything you can imagine just they have it but they don't choose to share it and and the humans are usually helpless and sad and uh-huh. just rudderless as I was and I, f- I felt like the humans but I remembered I remembered the feeling of like having control over my life which uh-huh. was the mermaid so and just the the clash you have when you realize that you're 
one and not the other at that mm. moment. Well, the, I feel like the college student as mermaid is a metaphor. You, you, you could unpack <laughs> That seems forever. very Tumblr-like of me to say. <laughs> okay, uh, question eight. Mm-hmm. Oh, hell. I did this last time, too. Sure. We're not on question eight. We're on question seven. Oh. I'm going to write this ship before it even goes off course. What's the best advice you've heard about making comics? I think just keep going. Mm-hmm. Because there's no... There's no better advice than that to every cartoonist, or aspiring cartoonist as well. Because nobody... Nobody's interested in the same stuff, you know, in, specifically. And nobody is going to learn at the same rate or needs to learn the same things as the other. There's cartoonists who are technically fantastic, but are still sort of figuring out what they want to say, mm-hmm. or vice versa. At uh, Minnesota College of Art and Design, to what extent are cartoonists held to a certain standard of technical proficiency? Is that a value of the program, or is that something you had to... The will to be, you know, a, a technically accomplished okay. cartoonist, is that something you yourself had to bring to your education? I'd actually say it's the opposite. Like, there's a... The program at MCAD is definitely uh, craft-centered, especially since it's partly a design and, you know, fine arts school, especially fine arts. Like, you get taught mm-hmm. how to draw, and that is most of the foundation that you receive there. Is It's closer to a craft school than it is sort of, like, a theoretical, like, what are you uh-huh. doing with art sort of situation. Um, so it's very, like, you learn perspective, you learn timing, you learn inking, you learn that kind of stuff. For better or worse, it's left more to the student to direct themselves creatively. And where they want to take that is, is mm-hmm. completely up to them. So if you're self-motivated, it's, it's great. If you struggle... It can be harder like if you struggle to figure out what your voice is, especially if you're 18, 19. It's not the it's not the easiest thing, and it's not always the first right. thing on your mind. Um, but yeah, I had to. I more had to like bring what I wanted to say into the conversation over craft. Uh, so that's why I think just continuing to work no matter what is the best advice. Mm-hmm. Because most of what you need, if you need to learn something, the only way you're going to be able to do it is to keep doing it. And too many students of MCAD that I know who went through the comics program end up stopping as soon as they get out of school. Because there's not this system there to support them making it. You sort of just get pushed out of the nest. (laughs) For better or worse. Question number eight. What's the worst decision you've made as a cartoonist? <laughs> um, I think two things. One is trying to go too big too soon. I think it's, in terms of like literal page count. Um, maybe a literal page count for me. I tend to I tend to try to write a thirteen page story. It turns out to be fifty three. So that. I can't speak to page count, but just like project-wise or just scope of where you want your projects to land, mm-hmm. like there's almost no chance that you can just go from graduating and setting up your senior show to like a book deal or like a run of 
books with Oni or Dark Horse. Like, there's there's what you sort of imagine as a younger cartoonist is the world of comics. Yeah. And then when you step into it, you're like, this was not what I expected. Or that's at least my personal experience. Mm -hmm. I don't... I don't think that was what I expected when I got out of college, but there was still this feeling of like, I'm just out of school. I should be making it right now. I should have established myself. So there was a lot of uh, self-loathing or just some sort of disappointment in myself. Like I didn't go directly from learning to like being a master. I think sometimes it can be too much pressure put on cartoonists by themselves. Sure. Like, why aren't I in fanographics right now? Like, why aren't I drawing for the New Yorker? Like, this is these things can be what you think you should be doing at this point. But comics is, is a much more nuanced field than just going from, like, a trade school to a job to retirement. Mm-hmm. It's a... It's a much more nuanced field than that. I feel like the the measures of success in comics are so yeah. varied that I think until you have some, and maybe even after you've had some, yeah, I I, I imagine like figuring out you know a, a reliable metric yeah. that will keep you sane is a very difficult thing yeah. to do. When I realized I said two things, the second thing is probably going to college, but that's a whole right. that's a huge thing to unpack, but. Question number nine. What do your parents think of your work? This is... I have no idea, actually. I don't know that my parents can... My mother, at least. I don't know that she can physically read a comic. Uh-huh. Or she has some sort of emotional barrier to reading comics. Because I remember, specifically, I brought a comic I had done in school about... About our dog, which we had had for 17 years, and like a fictionalized version of myself trying to kill herself. At the same time, this dog was aging, Mm -hmm. so it was like a race to see who was going to die first. And I gave her the first page, and of course I'm, I think I was like 19, I was like, oh, I don't don't know what she's going to say. And I hand it to her, and I expect some sort of like awkward exchange between us about like, what is this about? Like, why are you writing this? And she's just like, oh, these are really cute drawings of, of our dog. <laughs> so from, and I, she looked at all, all of the pages in that story, and it very clearly ends on, like, I die first, and the dog remains alive. Wow. Um, and she's, she, we've never, like, she's either never been able to talk to me about it, or it just was not even information that she could read. Well, let's zoom out for a second. Yeah. You went to college for cartooning. Yes. What did you tell your parents you were doing for, for the <laughs> several years you were in college? <laughs> How did they understand that, even I, if they weren't able to read a comics page? I'm not honestly sure. Like, they can understand that I was, again, the craft thing. They can understand <laughs> that I was just getting better at drawing. Like, I was more precise. I was more skilled at it I could things were more realistic and I drew more and more but I don't honestly know if they even have the uh, or if they had the emotional sort of framework to understand what 
I was doing intellectually or emotionally with those stories. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, it's, it's sort of an awkward time for parents and students when you're in college. Sure. At the same time. So it might be something that, and I put a lot of like uh, emotions surrounding my family into pretty much every book that I've made in smaller forms and, you know, larger ways. But it's really interesting to me that they can only, they sort of can see physically what happens, but they can't read the comic in, wow. in a deeper way, which just might be because they're not interested in comics. They don't know that language. Yeah, I suppose, you know, I take for granted that people mm-hmm. are able to, you know, follow that kind of comics grammar, but yeah. I suppose often they're not. Yeah. It's like, it's like French literature or, you know, Russian literature. Sometimes you don't get it. Mm-hmm. All right, our last question, question number 10. You've been assigned to write and illustrate Garfield, <laughs> but you can alter one aspect of the strip. Ooh. What do you change? All of the words are gibberish. Mm-hmm. There are no English words in that comic. There's nothing but like strange phrases or a completely unreadable gobbledygook. Mm-hmm. I mean, because that's that's that would probably be easier to read and more entertaining to read than Mondays. Right. <laughs> Although that's tri- that strip has been going for so long that I I have to think it would still be pretty legible. <laughs> Each, each trip, you would know exactly yeah, what was happening. Yeah. And, like, part of that is maybe a testament to the cartooning of Jim yeah. Davis. Part of it, I think, is just, you know, like, the actual weight of history yeah. behind Garfield now. <laughs> yeah, he sort of he sort of distilled it, for better or worse, into, like, three motion or, like, three expressions on every face. Mm-hmm. And, you know, an arm up, an arm down... In Garfield in his bed, Odie doing something, like, that kind of stuff. But that's kind of how I actually perceive Garfield, is just, like, these drawings and then, like, this weird no- white noise of words above it. Uh-huh. Yeah. So that's what I would say. Change all the words. All right. Let's end on that. Okay. Thank you. Mm-hmm.